How bad is the homelessness crisis in California? Well, look at the numbers. California has just over 12% of the country's overall population, but our state now has more than 30% of the homeless population. More trouble. Our homelessness rate has gone up 6% since 2020, while the rest of the country saw an increase of only half of 1%. In other words, California's numbers are not only high, they're getting worse. Now, what if I told you that one California mayor has actually had success in fighting this problem while others failed? His name is Kevin Faulkner. Kevin Faulkner served as mayor of San Diego from 2014 to 2020. He oversaw a multi-year decrease in the rate of homelessness while it spiked in other big cities. Mayor Faulkner is also a Republican. We sat down with him earlier this summer to discuss what it takes to make progress on homelessness, how to do it in a polarized political climate, and what Republicans in San Francisco can learn from the GOP in Southern California. It was a great conversation, but before we jump in, please remember to subscribe to this podcast. Hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher, and if you have time, leave us a review. We always appreciate it. Now. With that said, please sit back and enjoy our interview with former San Diego mayor, Kevin Faulkner. And we're live. Former San Diego mayor, Kevin Faulkner. Mr. Mayor, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Now, I have to confess, it feels a bit unnecessary to introduce you to our audience. I know at least two of our listeners who already describe themselves as Kevin Faulkner Republicans. But for those of our listeners who are, let's say, new to California politics, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and about your background? Sure. Happy to do so. Yes, a, a proud California Republican and was fortunate to serve two terms as mayor here in San Diego, and before that, two terms on the San Diego City Council. And yes, as a Republican in a deep blue state, every district, and even, in, of course, in the citywide San Diego, the registration never favors folks on the on the Republican side. In fact, it's always been an underdog. But yet, I think, and I'm looking forward to us having this discussion, I think when you talk in terms of results, when you talk in terms of common sense, when you talk in terms of action and not just rhetoric, I think what you find is you find a, a receptive community, regardless of whether somebody's Democrat, Republican, or independent, who wants things to work. And when you do that, I think Republicans can be successful in California. I think I'm proof of that to a certain extent. And I think you're able to move the needle. And so this is something that certainly I feel very strongly about when you get away from the rhetoric and you focus on policies and changes that I think actually affect people's lives, Republicans can and, and will win here in California. You mentioned results. Let's start with homelessness. You have a unique track record. You served as mayor of San Diego from 2014 to 2020. And by the time you finished in office, the city's homelessness numbers were actually dropping down 4% in just the final year. No other city in California had a comparable record. Most, like LA and San Francisco, actually had rising numbers. How did you succeed while all these other big cities in California failed? We learned a lot of lessons, and a lot of lessons the hard way. And I'll tell you, when I first 
got elected to office as mayor. If I look back and there's a lot of talk about housing first and you have to do this and you have to do that. And really what I saw was it just wasn't working. You had the city and the county both pointing fingers at each other, who's responsible for homelessness. And I and I just said, look, I'm mayor. These are my streets. I'm going to be held accountable, even if I'm, quote, not technically responsible for things like mental health and others. But we took action, Ben. And it was one of those things that we just said, we have to do things differently. And so we set up a series of bridge shelters, which we call bridge shelters because it's a bridge from the street to the to a place of your own. And I picked the locations myself. And I made a deal with the community. And I said, it's going to be cleaner and safer in this neighborhood with this bridge shelter than before it was there. And I felt so strongly about it that I backed it up and I created a new division in the San Diego Police Department called the Neighborhood Policing Division, whose sole focus was men and women in the department who would help on homelessness. And and we really set the tone. And I come from a perspective of there needs to be consequences for actions. And so we invested a lot of time, effort, energy in these sprung structures that we put up. And by the way, it wasn't just a bed. It was all of the wraparound services, mental health, housing, navigation, et cetera. Because I wanted to ensure that we had a clean, safe, sanitary place for people to go. But I also believe very strongly that if we offer you a place to go, you have to go use it. And if you don't, you cannot, and we will not allow an individual to put up a tent on a sidewalk in front of somebody's house and from somebody's business, that's not okay. It's not okay for the neighborhood and it's certainly not okay for the individual on the street. And so we set some very clear parameters because I wanted to help people and I wanted to insist on a bottom line. And we took the approach that we are going to intervene. Not everybody takes that approach and just, well, we want you to go to shelter. I hope you go to shelter. No, We have a place for you to go. You need to go use it. And if you don't, we're not going to let you, as I said, put up this tent there. And so, again, after a lot of effort, we created a, I think, a system that worked. We were the only big city in California while I was mayor that we reduced homelessness by double digits and we were headed in the right direction. And so you have to have that combination of, as I said, location, and it has to be at the scale to match the problem. But then you also have to have the political will that says, we're going to insist on a bottom line on our streets. I did. I think, again, that was a result that was supported by Democrats, by independents, by Republicans, because I don't care what party registration you are. No one likes to step over needles and feces in their neighborhood, next to our public parks, our libraries, our schools. And people want, rightfully so, people to get help. And so that, if I you know, kind of encapsulate it, it was really providing the help and the support and then insisting that individuals use it. A moment ago, you used the term shelter. And by the way, you've championed shelters for a large part of your career. It sounds like you still do. But many left-wing groups tend to oppose shelters and demand instead that the government provide permanent housing or what they describe as housing first. Those terms may strike listeners as the same thing. But can you tell us What's the difference between shelter and housing first, and why does it matter here? Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And look, and I think you're right. I think I didn't get caught up in the semantics of defining this and defining that. I'm pro-housing. I think everybody is pro-housing. We need more of it in California. We need more of it at all income levels. But I also know that there's an emergency on the streets now. And so the analogy I use, Ben, is if someone's drowning – 
You don't say to them, wait there while I go build you a boat. No, you throw them a life preserver. You throw them a life preserver that says, I'm going to help you right now. That's what the bridge shelters are all about. Let's get folks off the street into a stabilized environment. Because the reality is, if you waited, quote unquote, to build all the, you know, the housing first, we just do not have the capacity currently. And so, yes, to housing, but also, yes, to immediate action on the streets now. And that's why the shelters become so important. And again, not just a bed, but I'm a big believer in you have to have those wraparound services to help people with addiction issues, to help people with mental health, because there's so many individuals, unfortunately, that are, you know, have one or both or are duly diagnosed. But when you do that and you set up the system that we did in San Diego, again, we became a, a national model. We had over 30 different cities come to visit the system we set up, talk to the operators, talk to our officers in the neighborhood policing division. It made a real dent in the street. And so, again, to me, it always comes down to action and it comes down to intervening. And I will tell you, while I was mayor, nobody came up to me and said, Mr. Mayor, I wish that tent was back out in front of my business or I wish that tent was back out in front of my house. No, they said, we support what you're doing. We want people to get the help, but we also need to, as I said, enforce that bottom line. If you don't do that, it's not going to work. Well, it's heartening to know that progress can be made. Unfortunately, cities have an even bigger challenge now, and that's in large part because of a recent decision by the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit is the federal court of appeals that covers California and a lot of the Western United States. And that decision is titled Martin versus City of Boise. For those who aren't steeped in the legal weeds of this, in essence, the court held that there is an Eighth Amendment right to sleep in public spaces or certain public spaces unless a municipality is willing to provide you shelter. So that's obviously a big change. You had to deal with Martin in the latter part of your your term. What do you think that cities in California can do about homelessness now that they have to live with Martin? And what does it mean for city governments going forward? Yeah, you know, I, I will tell you, I think the underlying principle of the Martin v. Boise makes sense, which says you cannot enforce unless you have a place for someone to go. Everybody's a human being, and I'm a big believer that you provide that help, the support. And that is, in fact, the proper role of government in terms of what we do or what we don't do in our cities. But I also believe, and once you do provide that place to go, that you actually enforce, as I said before, a bottom line on our streets. And so, in fact, before Martin versus Boise came out, San Diego was already under a similar local ordinance that we had had. And again, I don't argue with that philosophy because I think we should have an emergency spot for folks to go. But the key comes in, you have to have the political will that says, I'm going to insist that you go use it. People talk about outreach and all of the different factors to try to get somebody off the street. I support all of that. We did all of that. But I also feel very, very strongly that you have to have a bottom line. And that's why we set up our neighborhood policing division that said, everybody has a place to go in our city. Nobody in San Diego while I was a mayor got enforced upon in terms of tent encampments unless they said no to going to the shelter. So having that place to go is important. I think it's the right thing to do. I think it works to help transition folks. But then I also think it's incumbent upon cities to insist that you take action. 
And if you're in a city that says, we hope you use the shelter, we want you to use the shelter, what do you do if somebody says no? And I think that's why you have to have, again, that carrot, but you also have to have that enforcement tool that says, here's what we're going to accept and not accept in our neighborhoods. And again, this is not a partisan issue. This is a quality of life issue. This is a quality of life for the individuals. So we say it's not okay to let you live in a tent to do heroin, methamphetamine, and too many people killing themselves out there. We have to intervene. I believe strongly in intervention. Not too many other people do. If you don't intervene, you are not, I repeat, not going to see a change on the streets. I want to ask you about the role of market rate housing. The answer everybody seems to have these days is low-income housing. We need more low-income housing. We need denser low-income housing. We need more denser low-income housing. But it seems that can't be not only the only answer, but even the majority answer. And the classic example is this. Take, for example, a woman, let's say she's about 50 years old, who unfortunately finds herself in a physically abusive relationship. She makes too much money to qualify for low-income housing, but not enough money to move out and pay rent all by herself. What is our state's answer for a person like that? Stay? That can't be. And I come back to this reality that the state can't just fix this problem with low-income housing. It seems there's got to be a role and a major role for market rate housing, competitive market rate housing that will drive down rents and ensure there is always a place to go at a reasonable price. What do you think about the role of market rate housing? And tell us your thoughts on how you handled the situation when you were mayor. Well, I think from an overall standpoint, we need to construct more housing, period. And this is something that the state talks a lot about that. But yet, when it comes to actually taking away some of the barriers that cities face, People have talked about CEQA reform, California Environmental Quality Act, for a long time. It's used as a weapon by folks that don't want any new housing constructed, and it needs to be changed. And Democratic governors have talked about it as well, but they they haven't somehow seemed to actually propose any meaningful change. And so it really has come up to cities. And so one of the things that we did here is we did a citywide environmental impact report, but the whole city, we did a plan called Complete Communities which said, we know we need to build more housing. We know we need to build it close to our job centers and our transportation corridors. So let's allow folks to do this once we've done the environmental impact report. And you can do it by right to try to speed it up. Because what happens is, fortunately, too many people back to using CEQA as a weapon want to stop construction of all types of housing, affordable housing, family housing, and it languishes and it just takes too long and it becomes too expensive. And what's happens? People vote with their feet. They're leaving our great state because it's unaffordable. And so it's incumbent upon us as policymakers and as elected officials to say, hey, let's treat this as an emergency. Let's remove these barriers so we can actually construct places that our kids and our families can afford. And until you, we do that, we're not going to see the types of changes that we need. You mentioned political will. And political will is a critical ingredient to success on questions like homelessness and and housing. Regrettably, political will is not abundant. It's quite a rare and special thing. And perhaps no more obvious example of that is San Diego now. San Diego's progress on homelessness since you left office has gone in sharp reverse. 
What's happening there? What would you do about it? And what is the state on the ground? Well, it's disheartening to see because we had made so much progress. And, and in fact, as I said, became somewhat of a national model at HUD Housing Urban and Development had come out, was touting what was happening in San Diego. And again, this is bipartisan. This was bringing everybody together to actually do it. But back to that political will that is so incredibly important because you have to be able to say, no, we are going to actually move forward with this infrastructure in terms of shelters and others. But then you have to have the political will that backs it up and says, I'm not going to put up a shelter and still allow tents on the sidewalk. You cannot do that. And so when we've had a change here in San Diego and a change again on that bottom line, the unfortunate reality is it's skyrocketing. We just got our numbers, our point in time count numbers. And here for the city of San Diego, this past year over year was up 30%. That's just astronomical in contrast to, again, back when we were reducing it by double digits. And so beyond the numbers, Ben, I mean, those tent encampments, that represents people that are on the street, that represents families that can't walk to their school or their church without having to walk around some of that stuff. It directly impacts your quality of life. And so if you do not have the political will that says we're going to insist that folks use it, then you're going to have, unfortunately, what's happening in San Diego, which didn't used to be the case. And unfortunately, what's happening in our neighbors to the north of us, Los Angeles and in San Francisco. It's not enough to just say, I want you to, and I hope you use it. You have to intervene. That takes political will. When you do that and people can see that it's actually working, then you have that support. I'll give you just a, a quick vignette. A metal gentleman, when I was out celebrating the opening of a conversion that used to be a motel, but it was becoming a places for formerly homeless veterans. And he walked up to me and he said, before we started, he said, I wanted to say thank you, Mr. Mayor. And I said, hey, I appreciate it. I think this is going to be a great facility, a great place. And he says, no, he says, I want to say thank you for cleaning up the tents underneath the freeway. I used to be one of the people living in those tents. And so that's what I'm talking about when you talk about intervention. When you talk about that says, we're not going to let you kill yourself underneath the, the I-5 freeway in San Diego. This individual got went to one of the bridge shelters that we had set up. He got himself clean and sober, and he's now a peer counselor at that place. That's what I'm talking about. We said we care enough to say you can't stay here. And when people get that push, when they know that you're serious, when they know that that's no longer an option to stay there in that type of environment, then they will make some decisions that will actually help get them back on their feet. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about political will and intervention. Let's zoom out for a moment. These are challenging times for the California Republican Party, for the party at a state level. If the California GOP handed you a pen, though, or in today's world, it would probably be an iPad. If they handed you an iPad and said, you can unilaterally rewrite the California Republican Party's platform, and the campaign strategy for 2024, what would you, Mayor Kevin Faulkner, write? How would you steer the ship of the state party in 2023 going into 2024? Well, look, I think the from a macro standpoint, look, the pendulum swings both ways. And I think, unfortunately, what we've seen in our great state is so many policies that are just to the far left that don't make any sense at all. When some of my colleagues, some of my former mayors were out there talking about defunding the police, I'm like, are you crazy? That's the worst thing you can do. I didn't defund our police in San Diego. In fact, I increased the budget. 
Why? Because if you want the best and brightest men and women out there protecting your city, you better darn well give them the tools, the training, and the support necessary to do that. And this gets back to what we talked about at the onset, which is if you frame things in terms of common sense, if you frame things in terms of issues that matter in people's lives, then you win. And in the case of San Diego, it's a vastly majority Democrat city. And yet when we were able to win and win twice, it's because we talked about Again, action that Republicans supported, Democrats supported, independents supported. Why? Because it made a difference in their lives. And when I see, just going back to the defund the police example, guess what? All these mayors that defunded their police departments, what have they done in the last year? They can't run fast enough to put money back in the departments because they've seen what happens when you spend all your time virtue signaling and not actually doing what you were supposed to do, which is taking care and running your city and making sure that you're actually protecting your communities, creating jobs, creating economic and equal opportunity. Republicans, when we talk about those messages, we win. Proud of what we've done on homelessness, crime, supporting innovative technologies like water recycling here in San Diego that's key to our environment. So I think that the outlook is actually very bright when we focus, again, on issues that impact real people. And when you do that, I think you, not only can you be mayor of San Diego, but you can win in state assembly races, state senate races, up and down the state and executive offices as well. So it's never easy, particularly, as I said, when the pendulum has swung so far. But I think it's going to come back. And I think it's going to come back to the center because Californians need it to. Californians need jobs. Californians need a quality of life. And if we don't do that, we're going to see more and more people vote with their feet and leave. And that's not something that I think any of us want. And I'm staying and fighting. The state's worth it. I'm going to fight for those policies that make sense. And when you do that, I think you can win. Since you mentioned it, let's talk about defund the police. Defund the police always struck me, at least, as facially counterproductive. Whatever the genuine problem may be, insufficient vetting, insufficient training, insufficient recruitment, the list goes on. Which of those problems stands to improve with less money? The analogy I use when I talk with friends is, imagine that a school had a significant problem or was deficient in some critical area. And at the PTA meeting, a group of parents stood up and began to chant, defund the school. You could probably understand their frustration, but it would be facially obvious to any adult that there is no significant problem that's going to get better by taking away what is already an insufficient level of funding. That's simply not how the world works. No matter how frustrated people may be, that's just not the way to get to the answer. Well, of course, and and, never confuse the need for reform because I'm a big believer in reform. What are best practices now will not be best practices five years from now. So you have to constantly be looking for reform and positive change. But if you just do this knee-jerk virtue signaling and take money away, well, guess what? You're taking officers away that are out protecting communities that need it the most. And hundreds of protesters out in front of my house, night in and night out. I'm like, guys, you could stay out here for a year. You're not changing my mind. I'm increasing the budget and watch me. And in fact, got it through a majority Democrat city council. Why? Because we framed it in terms of why it was so important for safety in all communities, 
we've put forth a reform package. And I always believed in that. And in fact, when I first became mayor, we were the biggest city in California that adopted body-worn cameras for our police officers. Now they're ubiquitous, right? Virtually every department. But I saw firsthand how that would help community trust. It would help protect officers. And so that's the type of investment that you need to do, not disinvestment. So again, I think it becomes a common sense type of thing. And you have to be willing to stand up and say, well, everybody's saying, oh, no, no, I think it's the right thing to do this month to defund the police. You have to say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not going to work. And in fact, it's going to be the worst thing. And so again, that's what leaders are elected to do. And when you do that, you have to have the courage of your convictions. And I think you will be supportive when you are doing things based upon principle and a desire to actually help people and make positive change and not go the wrong way. And I think a lot of cities went the wrong way on that issue. And guess what? They're all trying to change it. Rewind for a moment. When you were mayor, people were showing up at your house? And I wasn't the only mayor, right? I mean, remember, this was four years ago, probably at this point, all up and down California, people protesting and saying, defund the police and yelling and screaming. I'm like, well, great. You can yell and scream all you want, but let me be very, very clear. I am not and will not defund the police department because that's a sure way to have crime go skyrocket. Victims lose their ability to be protected from crime, not a partisan issue. And yet too many mayors allowed themselves to be captive to that. And guess what? They all changed their mind, every single one of them. Wow. Well, look, I applaud your composure and I applaud your good nature and looking back at it. I got to tell you, as the father of a three-year-old, I would hope that I would have a similar or close to similar level of composure. I can only imagine the restraint and the, well, like you say before, the will and the self-awareness it would take to stay composed in that moment. So I commend you. I really do. I commend you. (laughs) Well, my neighbors weren't too happy for a while, but I mean, I actually say that jokingly because of the interruption, but so many of them said, would come up and say, thank you for what you're doing. It's incredibly important. And I stood with a coalition, a very diverse coalition of across the city that that said, we're going to take care of the city and we're going to insist on, again, the best and brightest and highest standards in our police department, but we are not, I repeat, not going to take that away from our neighborhoods because If you do not have a safe city, you don't have anything. I want to close by asking a question that will hopefully be instructive. The Briona Society is committed to a lot of these same common sense principles. But oftentimes when you approach people in the city and they know you're a Republican, thoughts immediately go to national social debates like abortion. And it becomes difficult to get to the bread and butter day-to-day issues that municipal government is called on to answer. So you've had, obviously, some success in this arena. You were elected mayor in a large California city. How should Republicans address national social issues and national social debates when they come up in the context even of a, a municipal election? Look, I've always believed that we're a very big party with diverse interests. And that's what makes it who we are. And you know, there's some overriding principles in terms of opportunity, in terms of, as I said, common sense solutions, in terms of actually driving issues and debates. And I think when you focus on those, you know, from a Republican standpoint, you can have different voices, different views, but it's important again to, to tie it back to what are we going to do to move the needle forward? And 
I did not allow myself to get hung up on a lot of the national debates and who was voting for whom. Look, my job as mayor was to actually run our city down here. My job was to protect our quality of life, to create jobs, to make it safe and somebody that can raise their family and all the things that need to go into a a well-run city. I like to think we did a pretty decent job at that. (laughs) But most of what, again, that I did was not through a partisan lens. And I think people make a mistake if everything is so one-sided on one side or the other. I think most Californians, again, want government to work. Most Californians want common sense. And so when you stand up for that, and again, to have the fortitude to stand behind your decisions, I think you're going to win. And with the registration the way it is now, to be effective in California, you have to get Republicans, if you're a Republican, but you have to get Democrats and independents as well. And I, I think that actually makes for better policy often, because again, it's important to not just win an election, but it's important to drive changes that make a difference in people's lives. And so when you can do that, you're going to have a pretty well-rounded support. It's never easy. But again, I, I think that when you focus on that, that's how Republicans can win, both locally and statewide. And I think that's the best future for our party. Mr. Mayor, this has been a fantastic conversation. No doubt there are listeners in our audience who are going to want to continue to follow your thinking. If they want to keep up with you, what's the best way to do that? You know, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin Faulkner. And I love doing things like this because, again, I think the state is worth fighting for. I think people have seen what's happened with one-party rule in California, and it's not working. And so I think that there is a opportunity particularly in the next couple of years, for candidates to run and win on turning things around and getting us back again to a state that can function, a state that focuses on results and not a state that just wants to virtue signal more than the other state. When we do that, I think it's pretty bright, and I'm looking forward to continue to drive that change, not just here in San Diego, but statewide. Perfect. Well, Mr. Mayor, I've enjoyed this conversation. No doubt our listeners have too. Thank you so much and all the best going forward. 